Good morning again. I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, it's warm in here. But it's August, which means the fall is coming, and soon it will be cold in here. And uh, maybe that's better, I don't know. <clears throat> Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 28. That will be our sermon text for this morning, Acts 18, verses 18 to 28. And before we read that together, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you again for the many, many ways you provide for us. Uh, I pray that you would help us to understand that more fully as we hear your word, as we think about your provision for your church and the way you care for your people. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see that, rest in that, rejoice in that, give thanks for that. And, uh, and yes, as Brian just said, respond by giving of ourselves back to you and to your work. Uh, bless our time together as we open your word. Be with us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Cancrea he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus." Well, there are two extremes to participation in the church, opt-out and burn-out. Uh, you, you may have experienced one or the other or even both at different times in the Christian life. Opt-out, right, is when I come and I sit and I consume and I just kind of move on. Uh, ministry is, is done by the professionals. Jesus doesn't expect anything from me. Uh, my job is just to take it all in. Burnout is when it's all up to me. And every member must be all in, giving every second, living a radical life, burning yourself out for Jesus. Well, it will come, I think, as little surprise to say that I don't think either of these are what Scripture calls us to. 
the one neglects individual responsibility and God's call on our lives in the Christian life, and the other exaggerates it out, out of all proportion, right, which ends up putting me in place of the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, there is another way. And summed up, when it comes to the church, what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus provides for the good of his church. And part of that provision is you. Jesus provides for the good of his church, and part of that provision is you. Uh, therefore, as a church, we can do five things in light of that, and uh, they're the five things that are in your bulletin. However, at the last minute, I rearrange them. <laughs> Actually, I just took the one that's, that, that's listed first and put it last. So we're going to start with trust God, make room, be available, give away our best, and give thanks. Trust God, make room, be available, give away our best, and give thanks. So first, trust God. Jesus provides for the good of his church. Now, now if you don't know that Jesus provides, uh, that tends to lead to self-reliance and fear. If God does not provide, it's all up to me. And if it's all up to me, and I'm honest with myself, I'm in trouble. And that's not just true of salvation, that's true of the Christian life. That's true of life in the church. That's true of our day by day. And yet, if you know that God provides, you can trust him. You don't have to live in fear because you can live in faith. Paul trusted God. He knew that the good of the church was not all on his shoulders. We're looking at Paul's uh, second missionary journey at the moment. Uh, he had made it to Corinth last week, this big city. He stays there for a year and a half. Verse 18 tells us that Paul eventually left Corinth and he set sail for Syria with Priscilla and Aquila. Again, eventually, Paul and his crew, they come to Ephesus and as is his usual practice, he goes into the synagogue uh, to argue or reason with those who are there. And verses 20 and 21 tell us this. When they asked him, that is, those in the synagogue, when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Now, here in Ephesus, Paul has this opportunity for ministry, right? The Jews in Ephesus ask Paul to stay. They want to hear more. They're interested in Paul's message. But he declines and moves on. How could Paul do that, right? How could he waste this opportunity? Well, I think the answer is Paul knew his mission. Uh, he, he knew that the fate of the world was not on his shoulders. You see, we, we are often more likely to play God than to trust him. We, we think everything is up to us. If I don't share with this person, who will? Now, don't get me wrong, right? There should be a sense of urgency with the gospel. And yet sometimes there's a false sense of responsibility. Yes, people need to hear about Jesus. Yes, go and share Jesus with your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates. But even the Apostle Paul knew that he could not talk to everybody all the time. Sometimes you have to let certain opportunities go. Sometimes you have to trust that God's got this. You can pursue your God-given mission, whatever that is, and let God deal with everything else. 
And this is not a cop-out, right? Uh, This is understanding your God-given calling in life. Who is God calling you to reach, to love, to serve, to speak to? Go reach those people. God is calling you to reach somebody, but he's not calling you to reach everybody. And of course, that's a good thing because you can't. And so don't play God, trust him even with the opportunities that he puts in your path. And we can trust him, right? We can trust God to care for his church. How can we know that? How can we know that we can trust God to care for his church? Well, because he's proven it, right? God has proven that he is for us in the cross. Romans 8, 31 to 32, these very memorable verses for many of us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, see in Romans 8.32, that's Paul's proof that God is for us. We can trust God because of the cross. God has proven that he is for us by giving us his son. And do you think that after all that, he's going to give up on you? No way. Do you think that after all that, he's going to give up on the church? No Do you think that after all that, God is going to let his mission fail? Absolutely not. And so the cross is is proof of God's love. It's proof that God is for us. God has proven that he's for us, for his church in Christ. Trust him. Trust him that he will fulfill his work. So don't play God. Trust him. Rest in his sovereign work. Jesus provides for the good of his church, and part of that provision is is you. Trust him. Trust him. Second, make room. Jesus provides for the good of his church. Part of that provision is you. If you don't know that only part of that provision is you, we'll get to the fact that part is you, but if you don't know that only part of that provision is you, you will think it's all on your shoulders, again, which leads to self-reliance and fear, as we just said. But if you know that you're, you're just a part of what God is doing in the world, you can step back and let others do their part. You know, part of trusting God to provide for his church, rather than trying to do it all yourself, is making room for others to step in. Think about what Paul does here. Paul leaves Ephesus, he goes to Antioch, then he goes back through Galatia and Phrygia, building up the churches he had planted on his first missionary journey. Uh, Paul leaves Ephesus in verse 21. Almost immediately in verse 24, we read this. uh, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Paul leaves and Jesus immediately provides. And Apollos steps in. Uh, Do you remember when Jesus saw that the harvest was plentiful in the Gospels? Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples at that point? He was sending out the 72 as missionaries at the time. And here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, now you better get busy because you've got a lot of work to do. Now he was sending them out as as missionaries at the time. He was sending them out to do missionary work. So there was a lot of work for them to do. But that's not what Jesus said. He said in Luke 10, 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He didn't say, look at all that needs to be done. It's all on you. Go do it. He said, pray for God to send out fellow laborers, fellow workers into his harvest. And that is exactly what Apollos was for Paul in the long run. 
a fellow laborer. You know, Apollos is mentioned only a handful of times in Scripture. Uh, he's the kind of guy in the Bible that you, you wish you knew more about, right? Because you know there's a bigger story here. We just don't know what it is. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, the, the Corinthians seem to pit Apollos' ministry over and against Paul's. Right? They saw them as competing missionaries, almost. Uh, but Paul did not do that. Paul didn't see it like that. Paul didn't see himself as a rival of Apollos. Paul says of, of himself and Apollos, we are God's fellow workers, 1 Corinthians 3.9. Or 1 Corinthians 4.1, he says, this is how one should regard us, Paul and Apollos and Peter, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And, and yet even as Paul... Uh, made room and saw uh, uh, an opportunity for other workers, his trust was still in God. It's not that he transferred his trust from God to Apollos or God to Peter. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, concerning his ministry in Corinth, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, maybe you are tempted, like me, uh, to think that everything is on your shoulders. You think the church will fall apart if you don't do this one more thing. Well, not only do you need to trust God, right, but you need to make room for others, knowing that, that God will raise up qualified people to do his work in his time. When God saves us, he takes us out of the world, but he also brings us into the church. The church is a body, a community, right? That means there are no Lone Ranger Christians. Uh, you're not the only person that God has saved. That means you don't have to say yes to everything. Now, I know as a pastor, I'm not supposed to say that, right? Because you want people to do things in the church. And so you're not supposed to say you don't have to say yes to everything. But it's true, right? You don't have to say yes to everything. Sometimes you say no. Again, not as a cop-out, but because you understand God's purpose for you, whatever that is. And so you say no to some things so other people can say yes. And you say no to some things, which means you can say yes to other things. God has brought us into a community through Christ. Make, make room for others to do their part in that work. Don't see everything as something that you must do, you have to do. God's calling you to do something, but he's not calling you to do everything. Now, of course, the danger here is that everybody would see the need and everybody steps back to let someone else step up. That brings us to the next point. Okay, so Jesus provides for the good of his church. Part of that provision is you. Trust God, make room. Point three, be available. Now, everything I've said up to this point uh, might lead you to believe, right, well, it sounds like I can just sit back and do nothing. Uh, clearly, I'm not encouraging a burnout philosophy of the Christian life, but am I encouraging an opt-out philosophy of the Christian life? Well, what is our, our key statement that I keep repeating again and again, right? Jesus provides for the good of his church. Jesus provides for the good of his church. And part of that provision is you. If you don't know that part of that provision is you, you, you will neglect God's call on your life. But if you know that part of that provision is you, you'll be looking for opportunities to serve. Um, God raised up Apollos in Ephesus. Apparently, Apollos was this incredible person, right? I mean, look at verses 24 to 25. We're told there, uh, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. 
right? I mean, look at that list of qualifications, right? He's eloquent, competent, educated. He has this burning zeal and accurate teaching, right? That's the kind of guy that you, you want as your pastor. Don't worry, he's been dead for thousands of years. Don't even think, he can't replace me. But like all preachers, Apollos had his limits, right? Because nobody's perfect after all. Verse 25 says, he knew only the baptism of John. It's a kind of curious statement. How could he have been instructed in the way of the Lord and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, but not know about Christian baptism? Or is it that he didn't know about the baptism of the Spirit? Did he not understand that the Spirit had come at Pentecost? I don't know. I don't know what Apollos didn't understand. Uh, people debate it and they talk about it. it might be this, it might be that. Um, some think the phrase fervent in spirit means that he was burning with the spirit. Others think, well, that's a possible meaning, but it's not a necessary one. Whatever the case, here's, here's one possible scenario. Right? Apollos is in Jerusalem during the time of John's ministry. He at least understands the baptism of John. We know that. Maybe he was in Jerusalem right through the cross and the resurrection. He, he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Maybe Apollos was among the over 500 to whom Christ appeared after his resurrection. But sometime before the ascension, perhaps, Apollos returned to his native Alexandria. And as a result, he had 90% of the story, though there were some key things that he missed. Maybe. Maybe that's what happened. But this is what, what we need to see here is in verse 26, we're told that Pris, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they realized he was missing a few things. He knew a lot, but that didn't mean he had it all right. And so they take him aside, verse 26, and explain to him the way of God more accurately. Though Apollos was a public teacher, right? He, he wasn't a false teacher, but he got a few things wrong. And notice Priscilla and Aquila, they, they don't confront him publicly. Uh, rather, they take him aside graciously into their home and explain to him more accurately the things concerning Jesus. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, uh, Paul says, uh, similarly to Timothy, he says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, these guys aren't even, uh, Apollos is not Priscilla and Aquila's opponent, but even with opponents, Paul says, you should correct them with gentleness. That's similar to Galatians 6.1, where Paul says that elders are to correct sin with gentleness. Or 1 Peter 3.15, which says Christians are to share the gospel with gentleness. You get the theme here, right? And unless someone is boldly leading others to hell, our correction is almost always to be gentle as Priscilla and Aquila are here. And what I want you to notice is that, that Priscilla and Aquila, uh, co-workers of Paul, see this opportunity to help their fellow Christian to explain the way of God more accurately, which in turn, of course, was a help to the whole church, and they take it. Uh, when an opportunity for, for service arose, they, they jumped at it. They were available to be used by Jesus for the good of his church. Now, sometimes we think, well, okay, that's Priscilla and Aquila, right? I mean, they were co-workers of Paul, after all. I don't really have anything to offer like they did. But of course, that is a grave mistake. The, the truth is, uh, in light of the completed work of Christ, God has given us his spirit. We've seen this repeatedly in the book of Acts. The gospel is about forgiveness in Jesus, but it's about more than forgiveness, isn't it? 
It's about empowerment for living the Christian life and being taken up into God's mission in the world. And so Peter and Paul, both throughout the book of Acts, they proclaim, believe in Jesus to, to receive the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, the gift of the Spirit, which brings the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Or 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And here's the point, right, which we have hit on, uh, I think, frequently in the book of Acts, everyone in the church is empowered by the Spirit for the building up of the church. And everyone is empowered by the Spirit in different ways. We are stewards of God's varied grace. And so the question for you is not, do I have anything to offer, but what? Right? How has God gifted you for the building up of the church? It, it may be a gift of speaking or it may be a gift of serving. It may be a gift that builds the body in maturity through edification. It may be a gift that builds the body uh, in numbers through evangelism. It may be a, a gift uh, that is exercised publicly. It may be a gift that is exercised one-on-one. -on -one. It may be a gift that the church prizes highly. Right? That varies from church to church. Right? It may be a gift that our church basically overlooks. We still need to use it, whatever it is. It, it may be teaching, it may be serving, it may be giving, it may be helping, administration, prayer, hospitality, leadership, faith, wisdom, discernment, exhortation, mercy. There are lots of gifts mentioned in the New Testament, uh, but the truth is, though there are a number of chapters that list some gifts, no chapter lists all the gifts. And we know that because no single chapter lists all the gifts found in every other chapter. And I think the Bible doesn't give us a complete list because there is no limit to the number of gifts available, if we talk about it like that. A, a gift of the Spirit is anything that the Spirit might use for the building up of the body, growing it deep or wide, right? Any act of speaking or serving for the good of the church. And uh, let, me, let me give an example of that. And I, I did ask this person, though they don't know what I'm going to say. Um, uh, I mentioned one thing that's a little bit out of the box, which is uh, Molly is putting together some videos of people's testimonies, which is a, a great idea, which I'm really excited about. They're short videos, right, that point people to God's grace at work in real lives. And uh, videos that we can post and share uh, as one way of seeking to connect people to the gospel. Now, most people would be hesitant to say uh, Molly has the spiritual gift of video editing. But... Here's what we should say, if we don't say that. Here's what we should say. Molly does have many gifts given by God, including the technical and aesthetic ones necessary to edit videos. And the Spirit can use those gifts to grow His church. And the question for you is, what, not, not which of the spiritual gifts listed in the Scriptures do I have, Right? As if it's, you know, you're, you're taking this list and you're trying to find just the right one on that list that belongs to you. Uh, the question for you is, what gifts do I have that the Spirit can repurpose for His ends? Okay, so how do you know? <laughs> right? How do you know what gifts you have that the Spirit can repurpose for His ends? Well, first, pray about it. Right? Ask God to guide you. 
Second, look for opportunities to serve in various ways and try it out. What opportunities do you see around you? Maybe you're the only one who sees those opportunities. Maybe nobody else is aware of the need that you see. So look for opportunities to serve. Jump in. If it's not a good fit, it'll probably become apparent pretty quickly, if not to you, to someone around you. <laughs> and they'll let you know. <laughs> Three, ask yourself, what do I like doing? What am I good at? How might the, the Spirit repurpose your natural giftedness and bent for the good of the church? Right? So who has God made you to be? Right? The Spirit will use just that very often. Now, sometimes the Spirit calls us to things that we hate. That's true. It happens. Right? And we do something that's outside of our natural bent because God is teaching us humility or just calling us to serve in a way that it's needed. But oftentimes, what God does is use who we are as individuals for the good of his church. And so, who are you? Right? Who has God made you to be? Fourth, ask people that you, uh, that you know what they think. Right? If you're still stumped and you're like, I've prayed about it, I'm looking around, I, I'm looking at myself, I just have no idea. Okay, ask somebody. Ask somebody that you know and trust. Sometimes other people know us better than we know ourselves. And fifth, if all else fails, right? You've done all of that and you're still at a complete loss. Okay, uh, take a test. Believe it or not, take a test, right? There, there are tests designed to help you discern your spiritual gift. Uh, my, my church in Philly had one, which I'd be happy to pass on. In fact, I think I promised somebody I would pass it on. I haven't done that yet. I will do that, I promise. Everybody's heard me, right? They'll hold me to it. Uh, now, I don't think that should be the first or the primary or the only way you try to discern uh, how God has gifted you. But if you're stumped, it's a place to start, right? It's a place to start. Those tests aren't magic, but uh, they, they give you an idea. They maybe give you a nudge push in a certain direction. Uh, the, the point is, we all need to keep our eyes open. We need to be available and look for opportunities to build up the body of Christ in ways that give of ourselves for the good of Christ's church. God has empowered us through Christ by the Spirit. Be available to be used by Him. Okay, Jesus provides for the good of His church. Part of that provision is you. So trust God, make room, be available Four, give away our best. Give away our best. Uh, have you ever noticed, right, when a good thing comes along, we're super reluctant to let it go. Uh, as a church, uh, we are in a position that we always have to let people go. Uh, and I mean, not just the church in general, but this church in particular, right, because people come to the University of Illinois for four to six years, great people who serve in the church, and then when they're done, we have to say goodbye, they return to their hometowns, they, they get a job in another city, they head out uh, for mission work around the world, right? Whatever it is, and, and it could be, okay, if, if we're honest, it, it is often depressing to have to say no to these amazing people. But it helps us understand the principle that, that we must always give away our best for the good of the church. See, if you know that God provides, if, if you don't know that God provides, you tend to hold on tight rather than let go. But if you know that God provides, you trust him by letting go, right? by not, not even just by letting go, but by sending out your best into the world. Uh, we see that here, actually, in verses 27 to 28, the end of the chapter, uh, when he, Apollos, wished to cross to Achaia. 
The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now, now Apollos, right, in Ephesus, Apollos was their golden boy, right? Eloquent and competent and zealous, but he saw another opportunity to serve, and the church encouraged him to take it. Now, they could have held back. They could have said, no, no, Apollos, we really think God is calling you to stay right here. But the principle of the gospel is always self-sacrifice for the good of others. God has shown in Christ that, that actually self-sacrifice is the path to life. In fact, we're told in Scripture, it's better to give than to receive. Through the cross comes the resurrection. And Jesus said, if anyone would save his life, he must lose it. But if anyone, or he will lose it, but if anyone loses his life for Christ, he will find it. And so the Ephesian church could have held on to Apollos and said, no, no, right? We, we think you're called to be here, not anywhere else. But it would have been neither good for the church at large nor good for them. We're called to give of ourselves for the good of others. And it is as we lose ourselves or give ourselves away that we actually find ourselves. Our good is in giving away our best. That's what love is, right? Love is when you give of yourself for the good of another. It's as, as we love that we find life as it was meant to be. I mentioned students a, a moment ago, right? And, and can I say this? I think, I think we need to be more self-conscious about equipping college students and graduate students so that we can really send them off elsewhere with confidence when their time here is done. I'm not saying we don't do that. I think we do that. Uh, but I think we need to be more self-conscious about it. Uh, and no, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that would look like. Uh, maybe there's some really entrepreneurial person in here that can use their gifts to help us as a church think that through. What would that look like for us to really equip students so that when we send them out, we're sending them out uh, to serve wherever they go? whether it's in their home church or whether it's in a new city or whether it's around the world. But equipping students to serve Jesus and then sending them out to do just that would be a great way of embodying this principle, right, of giving away our best. We pour our heart and soul into people and then we, then we send them off, knowing that God will use them to bless the church elsewhere. God has shown us in Christ that self-sacrifice is the path of life. We give away our best and it's in doing that that we actually find our life in him. So Jesus provides for the good of his church. Part of that provision is you. Trust God, make room, be available, give away your best, and finally give thanks. Jesus provides for the good of his church. Part of that provision is you. If we don't know that Jesus provides, we tend to pat ourselves on the back when things go well and heap on blame and guilt and despair when things go poorly. Because if you don't know that Jesus is the one providing, all the credit and all the blame falls on you. And we tend to see our role as larger than it really is, right? We're the biggest actor in our story, not God, we think. There's no overarching plan, just our success or failure. How did I do? But if you know that God provides, that leads not to pride or despair, but to thanksgiving, God is the main actor, so we can give thanks in all circumstances that he is at work here for our good and for his glory. Now, we uh, skipped over an odd little detail uh, back at the beginning of our, our section of Scripture in verse 18. 
Verse 18, at Cancrea, Paul had cut his hair, for he was under a vow, we're told. And commentators debate uh, just what this was, but it was most likely some kind of a vow of thanksgiving. Uh, during the vow, Paul would let his hair grow, as was often the case, and at the conclusion of the, the vow period, Paul would cut his hair off. And it's likely that this vow was maybe in response to Jesus' promise back in verses 9 and 10. Remember that? Verses 9 and 10, Jesus promised to protect Paul while in Corinth. It's very possible at that point, Paul made a vow in response to that promise. And now Paul, upon leaving Corinth, Jesus having kept his promise, Paul shaves his head. Once he gets to Jerusalem, he might likely offer the appropriate thank offerings that would go with that kind of a vow. Now, I know uh, we have more important reasons for cutting our hair, like style and personal preference and popular norms, but in Jewish culture, every aspect of life was related to God, including how and when one cut their hair. Whatever the specifics, the point is this, Jesus had cared for Paul, and in response, Paul gives thanks in a specific, in a concrete way. He offers thanks to God. He takes the time to give thanks. How has God provided for you? How has God provided for us as a church, right? What opportunities has he brought our way? What people has he raised up? What gifts has he given us? How has he blessed us to give of ourselves for the good of others? Jesus provides for the good of his church. Give thanks for what he is doing in our midst. And of course, every blessing that God gives, as we have seen, comes to us because of Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Well, what's the point? That every blessing, including our adoption as God's children, is ours only in Christ. Which means every blessing that comes from God as our Father comes through Jesus. All things God gives to his children come through Jesus. And so when we give thanks for any particular thing in the Christian life, that drives us back to the gospel and ultimately to God's inexplicable love for us in Christ. See, when we give thanks for anything, it is an opportunity to give thanks for the cross. God gives us food because Jesus died for our sins. God gives us clothing because we've been adopted as sons in Christ. God gives us friendships and family and community and work because we are united to the risen Lord. So every blessing you have, if it's truly a blessing, you have because of Jesus. The cross is the source of all good things. God has given us all good things in Christ. Give thanks. Now, what if you're not a Christian? Well, if you're not a Christian, the, the only reason God has not scrapped the world to begin with and destroyed the whole thing with fire is because of his love in Christ. God preserves the world because of his love for us that's found in the gospel. So every blessing you enjoy is meant to lead to repentance. Every blessing testifies to God's goodness. He is willing to forgive your sins in Jesus. And so repent and believe and then give thanks. Jesus provides for the good of his church, and part of that provision is you. And so we can trust God, we can make room for others, we can be available as we see opportunities, we can give away our best, and then we give thanks for all that God has done for us in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are at work, that you are at work in the world, you are at work in our church, you are at work in each of us. You are at work to bring glory to your name, 
as you bless your people. We pray, Father, that you would help us to give thanks, to rest, to trust you, and to give of ourselves as we have opportunity, as Jesus has given himself for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.